Hey, Westside family. My name is Eric Johnson, and I serve on the production team. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. Love you guys, and enjoy. So today I'm talking to you about glory in the storm number two, part two. Uh, we have been just kind of steadily progressing out of the book of Ezekiel uh, for the last few, uh, few weeks. That has kind of been our focal point of what God was saying uh, to Ezekiel about an army he was developing. We was taking that, getting inside of it, and then God was allowing us to apply certain aspects of that to our life and to, our, and to uh, the current circumstances that, uh, that we've been dealing with socially. And last week, out of Ezekiel, we jumped into glory in the storm. And I thought, I didn't think I was going to be going here for part two. I thought I was going to be getting into enduring faith. But in the process of developing uh, what I was going to share with you concerning enduring faith, uh, a part two of glory in the storm uh, came about. So we are going to hit Glory in the Storm Part 2 today, and it will be a segue into enduring faith uh, for next week. Let's pray. I feel the need to pray this morning. I'm just kind of, I'm struggling in my mind uh, for clarity of thoughts uh, uh, this morning. So let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, I just ask that you just move this morning in a powerful capacity. I ask that you allow our minds to be clear, that you allow us to set aside distractions, thoughts, ideas, plans, concerns, worries, joys, desires, and on and on, so that we can set aside a few moments to hear what you have to say to us today. Father, as the speaker this morning, I ask that you keep my mind clear of distractions, clear of fogginess, so that I can be focused on not only what you've led me to prepare, but how your spirit is leading me to speak this morning. For we are in an important time, a time of challenge, a time of change, a time of battle, but a time of you doing great things. And Father, we want to be prepared and we want to be ready. And we know that all things will pass away, but yet your word will exist forever. And so what we are doing this morning from the, from the position of speaking and from the position of receiving is the most important part of our day because it's allowing your life it's allowing your truth, your revelation, to be imparted into our minds and to our spirits through our bodies. I bind up the work of the enemy as we speak. I bind up condemnation. I bind up lingering addiction. I bind up any hidden sin that someone can't get rid of. I bind up broken relationships I bind up unhealthy families. I bind up dysfunctional marriages. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind up insecurity and depression, anxiety, stress, and worry. And I loose, as the word says, for whatever we bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatsoever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And I loosen your will for each individual that is here this morning. I loosen your power. I loosen the will of the Holy Ghost. And I loosen you, God, your presence and your power to manifest this morning through the presentation of your word, the only absolute truth in this life, the Bible. In the name of Jesus Christ, can I get a right on? God is good. So let me, I'm just going to read you, I'm going to read you a couple verses. The first one is kind of setting a foundation for next week, but it applies to this week. Matthew 24, 13, but the one who endures To the end, we'll be saved. So, uh, Eric, today, leave my verses on the screen, okay? I know there's, there is a process of taking them on and off, but leave them on the screen today. So now let's jump into Matthew 14, 22 through 31. This is when Peter was walking on water, and, it, and we're going to get into what happened prior. Well, well I'm going to talk about it, but I'm not going to read it. So this is this process or this experience. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came... He was there alone. But the boat by this time was long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. Okay, let me just pause. I'm going to read verse 24 again because this is the premise of where we're going today. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. Here we go. Beaten by the waves. For the wind was against them. Can you say a storm of waves and wind? Verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? So I gave you the complete uh, story or the full context of it, but we're really just going to focus on what I had you repeat a second ago. First of all, I want us to look at a, a half of a sentence. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat. Something I want you to see and take notice here. So if you was to get inside the Bible and read verses prior to this, you will come across the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with fish and loaves. 
So the Bible teaches that it was getting close to evening. It was getting close to dark. And the disciples was like, hey, Jesus, these people need to go home. They're hungry. And Jesus basically asked, hey, what do you got in that basket there? And basically it was fish. It was some fish and some loaves. And if, you're familiar, if you've been in church amount of time or familiar with, with Jesus, Jesus's ministry, you know the story. Jesus fed the 5,000 with just a little bit of fish and loaves. Now, I want you, ima- I wa- I want you to imagine the, t- the disciples. Here they are. They, they, they knew what, what, what they had, a, a couple pieces of fish and a few uh, cuts of bread. And they knew they had 5,000 people in front of them, but yet all of a sudden, out of nowhere, as they begin to serve people, the bread kept coming and the fish kept being supplied. And they kept feeding and the food kept coming. They kept feeding and the food kept coming. They kept feeding and the food kept coming. And they was witnessing and they were experiencing really two things. A miracle from a source and a miracle through them. A miracle from the source and a miracle coming out of their hands. For they were serving, but yet Jesus was producing. Now that's a talk within itself on how we are to supply the world. How we are to take what Jesus can offer and supply it. We don't produce the miracle, but yet he produces the miracle. But yet in spite of what we think and in spite of what we feel, we should continue to serve and trust that Jesus is going to provide the need of those he is sending us to serve. The disciples didn't produce it, but Jesus produced it. But that's not the point this morning. So they were experienced this miracle, this sign and this wonder. Now, we knew this took a little bit of time to feed 5,000 people takes a little bit of time. So we knew it was probably now early evening. And we come to this scripture right here, and it says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. And so what was happening It's right after a faith-leveling experience. When I say leveling and increase, right after an experience that increased their faith, that increased the idea of their capacity to be used by God and something they had never seen, witnessed, heard of, or experienced before, right after this amazing moment, Jesus sent them away, put them in a position to to face, to deal, and to exercise the faith that they just, or the increase of faith that they just received. Because Jesus immediately, right after this experience, the Bible says, put them in a boat, and when they got in a boat and the boat sailed off or they rode off into the sea, they encountered a storm. 
And I don't know about you, but I've been there, I've done that, and I've bought a few t-shirts from it where I experienced God working in my life. I experienced a revelation. I experienced an increase of faith. And instead of me being able to revel in that experience and chew and eat on that intimacy with God, all of a sudden out of nowhere, instead of Jesus patting my back and saying, hey, how did you like that, Johnny boy? No, Jesus giving me a kick in the butt and saying, now I don't want you to enjoy the the, the, the miracle. I don't want you to enjoy the faith. I want you to get out in the water, get in a boat, and I want you to exercise this faith that I just dropped into your heart. It ain't no time just to enjoy what I've given you, but you are in a time and a season when you need to exercise what I've been giving you. Get out and take control of the storm. Are you breathing this morning? There is moments, yes, that God allows us to revel in the power of his miracle. But let me just give you a word this morning. We are not in a season and we are not in a time that we are to revel and just lackadaisical, get lazy and complacent before God and just enjoy the presence of God and come to a nice little church. We are in a battle, amen. We are in a battle for our nation. We are in a battle for our families. We are in a battle for our own souls. And it is a time to rise up and to use the faith that God has established in your heart through his signs and his wonders. That's a freebie. That's not even a part of my message. You're welcome. So they were forced into this position to experience a storm that would test their faith. And they had to endure this storm for a night season. Why do we know that? Because what we read today said that when Jesus appeared to them, he appeared to them in the fourth watch. The fourth watch of the night is between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they most likely entered into the boat shortly after nightfall And they had to endure this storm closely to the rising sun. This just reminds me, this is another extra. David said, weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I I need to tell somebody this. I just felt it in my spirit. You're in a night season, and all God wants you to do is endure. And it's a night season of weeping. It's a night season of harshness. It's a night season of uncertainty. It's a night season of you experiencing something that is not your fault, that you did not ask for and you did not expect. But what God is saying to you this morning is for you just to endure the night season where there might be or where there is weeping in the night, joy is coming in the morning. And you're, ooh, thank you, Jesus. And you are in the fourth watch of your endurance. Whoever, that's for somebody, that's for somebody. So he sent them into a storm, but it just wasn't any storm. 
We can, three, we can see probably more if you really dig into it, but specifically we can see three storms in our faith, three storms in the Bible. There's a demonic storm, kind of like what Job experienced. It's a storm where demons and, 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 and Satan tries to steal, kill, and destroy. Then we have a storm that is a byproduct of human error. Look at someone and say, those are when you do something stupid. Have you ever been there? Have you done something stupid yourself and the, and the result was a storm in your life? You opened your big mouth and you shouldn't have opened your big mouth. You spent money you shouldn't have spent. You ate something you shouldn't have ate. You know, the list goes on. Sometimes we inflict ourselves with storms because we just do something stupid. But the demonic storm and a storm of error is not where the disciples were. They were in a godly storm. A storm of wind and a storm of waves, or a storm of waves and a storm of wind. It was a storm that Jesus sent them into for glory. A storm of glory. And it's very important for us to realize there is moments in our life that God sends us into a planned storm. And they're not demonic. They're not to steal, kill, or destroy. They're not a byproduct of human error. They're not from stupidity. But they are simply from God to produce something in us like nothing else can produce in us. Some of you who are more mature in your spirit or who have walked with Jesus for a while, I think you can, you can remember some of those storms. And maybe you're in one right now. So when we see this, we see waves. Waves in the Bible has to do with spiritual depth and the process that God uses to push one deeper. Let me say that again because we're going to break this down a little bit. Waves in Scripture represent spiritual depth and the process that God uses to push us or to force us deeper. Let me read you a verse out of Psalms 42. Verse 7, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me when deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls all your breakers and your waves have gone over me as most of you know, I used to do a whole lot of surfing. I, I spent 10 years of my life chasing swell. And I, I learned to surf on the North Shore of Hawaii where 
It's the big wave capital of the world, and I've traveled to Costa Rica and surfed. I've traveled to Mexico and surfed. I've surfed up and down the central and southern coast of California. I've surfed in South Carolina. I've surfed in Florida. I've, I've surfed uh, hurricanes uh, in Texas. I almost got sucked out to sea by Hurricane Katrina. Well, that was a scary one right there. And there's one thing that's common about waves. Number one is they're bigger and stronger than you are. And when they break over you, they compress you down, and you are at their mercy until the wave passes. I remember in Hawaii, uh, surfing in a, a, a big swell, so the outside reef would hold about 20 foot of swell, and the inside reef would hold anything from 6 to 10 feet. So I was too much of an amateur to paddle out to the 20-foot swell, even though I wanted to, I was, I didn't want to do nothing stupid, you know? So I was on the inside, and those were still pretty good-sized waves, and some people thought I was stupid for being a, 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 a full-on rookie, first year of surfing, and I'm out surfing and that stuff. But now I remember, and, and I had a lot of spills. I'm not a good, I wasn't a good surfer, and I'm not a good surfer. I was just, uh, you know, I just did it. But I remember paddling into just a big old face, a big old thick wave, anywhere from six to ten foot high. And sometimes I would make the drop, and it's very euphoric. It's amazing. But, but sometimes, to be real with you, most of the time, that wave would collapse on me. It would grab me, and it would just shove me down. Sometimes I'd heat, hit the reef. Sometimes I'd heat, hit a sand bottom, and sometimes I wouldn't hit nothing. And those were the scary ones because your lungs is exhausted, and you're paddling, and you're paddling, and you're trying to get up, and you can't get up. And so your board is tombstoning. What that means is you are attached to a leash at the very extent of your leash, and you're pulling on your surfboard, and it is tombstoning on top of water. In fact, just the top part of it is, is above the water, and it's shaking like this. And everybody knows if you see a tombstoning board that somebody is at the bottom of that leash being pushed down by the waves, and they can't get up. So what you do is you grab your leash, and you just start pulling. <laughs> And you can't breathe, and it's very scary. And you think you're about to lose it. Not reality, you're not. You think you're down there a lot longer than you really are because your mind starts playing tricks on you. But you're forced deep, and that wave has absolute control over you. You're at its mercy. And in context of what happens with us in a storm of waves is God puts us in a position for his power, his wave, whatever he wants to force on us to break upon us, and it compresses us down, and it controls us, and it pushes us, and it won't let us up. And it won't let us down. And in real life, the best thing that you can do is surrender to it. 
Because if you just surrender to it, that wave will pass and you will find yourself floating to the top. And it's the same way with God. The best thing that one can do is just surrender and let the wave of God do what it wants to do in you. And when it passes, that God bring you back to surface for a new breath of air. New breath of air. And these type of scenarios, it can seem like you're about to lose it. It can seem like you're about to break down. It can seem like you're on the verge of of running, running away. But when God is compressing you, he's not going to let you lose it. He's not going to let you break down. And he's not going to let you run away. But actually what he's enforcing you to do is to get in a spot, is to get in a place in your heart, in your mind, in your life where you accept depth, where you accept a deeper time in the Word, where you accept a deeper time in prayer, where you begin to experience a deeper level of faith. See, it's not because God enjoys inflicting pain. It's not because God just wants to freak us out. It's, it, that's only one time, Dobby. Dobby said I used freak out four times last week. <laughs> I didn't argue, so I... Anyway, we're not counting, are we? All right, okay. Where was I at? <laughs> freak it out. I'm about to freak out right now because I'm totally blank. This is, that, that's this going on 50 mindset that I literally hate. You know, just slap yourself in the head and think, think right, think right. Remember everything you're trying to remember. But I can't. Anyway. So, Jesus Almighty, help me, God. I forgot where I was at. Maybe I need to go to my notes, but I don't always preach off my notes. I just look at them for a little, little, oh, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to say. <laughs> that's for real. Totally different than you, Lorana, ain't it? So, Jesus, I, really, I don't. Can someone, if you're listening, help me out. If you were listening, help me out. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Was that Serge? No, I, I, I can't even half see. One, right on. One. It's not God's will to inflict pain. There we are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So thank you, Juan. It's not his will to inflict pain. It's not his, his will to just take joy from suffering. But when a storm of waves come over us, it's his desire to drive us deeper that will lead us to depending on him deeper. In the word deeper, praying deeper, preaching deeper, experience deeper revelation, experiencing deeper spirituality. Am I making sense this morning? 
And so we have two choices. Either we can surrender to that or we can fight that. I've come across people where I, I, I noticed God was, it was just God, you know, God had placed them into a storm, but they, they, they just didn't get it. They, they, they wouldn't, they, they worried and they freaked out, number two, and they just wouldn't accept. They just wouldn't surrender. They wouldn't spend time with God. They wouldn't get more connected in church. They wouldn't change some scenarios that maybe God was wanting to change into their life. And they never experienced the benefit of the deep. Because there is a benefit of the deep. Along with surfing, I used to spearfish. And I, I, I even got scuba certified. And there is a wonder of the deep when you just sink down. Even if you're not on a tank and you're just, you're you're holding your breath for a few minutes and you're just there and you're looking, there is a beauty, there is a wonder, there is a solace, there is a peace in the deep and with God when we surrender to the deep there comes a peace there comes a strength there comes a serenity there comes a fulfillment there comes a joy we have so many miserable Christians in church and outside of church these days and one of the reasons is because they have not surrendered to the deep Not all experiences with God's glory feels good and are moments of celebration. God's glory can actually kill us. The Bible says if we see God's face, we die. In the Bible, if a priest or anybody touched the Ark of the Covenant that represented God's presence, they died. If a priest entered the holies of holies with sin issues... And it not being taken care of properly. Guess what? They died in the holies of holies, which was the place of God's presence. See, God's presence, even though we pray for it and we desire it and we want it and we want our church to be filled with it, we also have to realize that it is a two-sided coin. That even though God's glory creates miracles, and even though it's beautiful, and even though there's wonder, what is also associated with God's glory is a storm of waves and wind. And when we are in that storm, we are experiencing the power of God's glory. And in that discomfort, and in that pain, and in that struggle, and in sometimes that confusion, we can feel like we're going to lose it. We can feel like we're going to let go. We can feel like it's all over with. But let me give you another word this morning. God always protects his people from the full onslaught of the power of his glory. So check this out. Moses was experiencing God's glory on Mount Sinai. And the Bible says that God took Moses and put him in a little cleft, a little hole in the rock and covered him up. So when God 
God passed by, all Moses could get a glimpse of was the back of God. Even though God, Moses was in God's glory, God protected Moses from the danger of his glory. The disciples was in a boat with Jesus or was in a boat in the storm that Jesus sent them to. And that all night long they was in a storm and the waves was big and the wind was high. It was so big that when Peter saw it, when he was outside the boat, he thought he was going to die. And he was a professional fisherman that was used to the waves. But guess what? God protected them in the boat. The God's glory in a day of evil. When, uh, uh, when he called Noah, God was destroying the earth and that was a byproduct of his glory in wrath. But God protected his people inside the ark. God had called Moses to be a man of his glory. But yet Pharaoh said, all kids, all firstborn under two must die. But yet Moses was sent down a river covered by an ark that was covered in pitch, which represented Jesus Christ saving us. God protected him. And the story and the story in the Bible, when we are in a storm, when his people was going through struggle and battle, and sometimes it's demonic, sometimes it's self-inflicted, and sometimes it's God. But no matter what, God stops us at a limit that we can't handle no longer, and he protects us. He protected Job from losing it all. And when Job endured, God blessed him with double of what he had. What I'm saying to you this morning is you might be in a storm, and the storm might be a glory storm, and you might feel like you're about to lose it, and you're not going to make it, and you got to let go. Hey, endure. Hold on to God. God is going to protect you. God is going to bless you, and God is going to help you in your life. He protects us from the dangers and the power that is associated with his glory. He only allows us to endure so much. Let's look at the wind. Wind in the Bible represents change, represents transition. That oftentimes is also forced by God. But wind also in the Bible, not in every instance, but in a lot, also represents God's breath and God's spirit. That's very important for you to get in the beginning of this segment. So wind in the Bible, I'm going to repeat myself, wind in the Bible represents change and transition forced by God, but it also represents breath, human, not human breath, breath out from God and his spirit. So they all kind of inter, they're, they're intertwined throughout the Bible. Now check this out. Each time God spoke in the creation account, it wasn't him just speaking, but it was also him blowing wind. What happens when we speak? If you was to come up here right now and I was to speak in your face, you would smell preacher breath. <laughs> Nasty. <laughs> it would be the wind of Jonathan Rhodes. And I wouldn't do that to you. I'd hate that. 
One of my greatest fears is getting down from a pulpit, going talking to somebody and having dragon breath or preacher breath. I don't like that. Anyway, anyway. I'll get off track again. I have to ask Juan to help me out over there. So each time God spoke, in essence, he was blowing wind. When God spoke over Jesus, there was a change. God spoke over Jesus when Jesus was baptized. Jesus went from a young man into a minister. That's when his ministry began. Jesus on Mount Transfiguration had a change, and there was a change in the three disciples that went up with him. And God again spoke. He said, this is my son in who I'm well pleased. And he said to the three disciples, listen to him. There was a change when God spoke over Jesus those two times. There was a change when the Holy Spirit came into the upper room in Acts 2. It was The Bible says it was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And there was a change on their dialect. There was a change in their mindset. There was a change in their faith. And there was a change in the population of the kingdom. Because at that moment, Peter preached his first word. And there was even a change from how he preached and what he preached. He tipped into the prophecy of Joel. And he, pre- and he preached it that day of Pentecost. And the Bible says that 3,000 people gave their life to the Lord. When the wind of God blows, when God speaks. There is a change. There is a change of faith. There is a change of mind. There is a change of heart. And oftentimes there is a change of population in God's kingdom. Because it's the wind of change. But change can be hard like the wind. So the wind can kill and the wind can destroy. It can also give pleasure and it can also create relief. For some people, this kind of change, a storm of the wind always, always, always creates change. And for some people, this means discomfort. For some people, this means instability. Because when you're being pushed back and forth in a heavy wind, there is a bit of instability that you have. There could be a lack of peace. If you've ever been in a high amount of wind, you do not have peace. There could be a lack of direction. If you've ever been in a boat, if you've been on a surfboard, and you've been out in the water, and there's been a large amount of wind, it is very hard to stabilize your direction. There's been change, a force of change for people over the last couple years, and for some people, a lot of people, in fact, it has been really hard But there's been two types of wind that's been blowing. Yes, there has been a demonic wind. But we're not going to go there today. Because what we're going to be encouraged by and reminded by is that any time the devil blows, God's blowing harder. Because there's also been a wind of change that's been blowing from God 
in churches, in families, in individuals. God has been doing a change in hearts. God has been, do- God has been doing a change in minds. God has been doing a change in people. God has been doing a change in community. So yes, there has been a wind of change over the last couple of years, some good, some not so good. But this is something I want us to consider. I think I missed something here. I did. So you remember I, I said when God spoke in the creation count, it was a blowing of the wind. So when he said, let there be light, the wind from his mouth established the light. He, he, he continued, and he did all let there be's. Let there be the animals in, in the waters. Let there be the animals on the land. Let there be the firmament. Let there be the greater light. Let there be a lesser light. Let there be basically all living creation that we have around us. But there was something different when it came to Adam and Eve. Let me just declare this to you before I jump into this. The wind of change that we're experiencing today, if you're a child of God, is not going to destroy you. The wind that is going to be coming, because there's another wind that's going to be coming, it's not going to destroy you. And let me give you a little bit of why. God did not speak Adam and Eve into creation. The Bible says that he made them. He did not create them from the wind. But he shaped, he molded, he made them based off of his image and his likeness. Get this, get this where I'm going. He didn't make them out of the wind, but he made them to hold the wind. So the same power that came out of God's mouth to establish creation is the same power that he breathed into Adam after he made him. The same wind of change that is blowing across the land is the same wind that we have in us. It's the wind that we are created to contain. And since we are created to contain it, we are created to endure it. We are created to live in it. We are created to exist by it. We are to create, we are created to function with it. God is not going to allow us 
to be destroyed by the thing that he created us to contain. So a wind of change is occurring throughout the land. And it's the same wind that is in us. It's the same wind of the Spirit that is in us. It's the same wind of power that is in us. It's the same authority that is in us for when we declare God's Word. The wind of glory that is blowing across this land, changing things, and I'm I'm, I'm coming to an end if you're wondering. It's not supposed to shake us. It's not supposed to rattle us. It's not supposed to put fear in us. Because the wind of glory that is blowing across the land is what we're made to house. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.